Well, hey, everybody, we are really glad that you're here to uh, worship with us this morning. And fall came yesterday. It's here today and it's going to be gone tomorrow. So we're going to enjoy this change of of weather. There was rain. I couldn't believe it. I was sitting in the Starbucks this morning and I saw that. and I was like, what is that? Is that someone's windshield wiper spray? And I was like, no, it's, it's rain. It's from the hand of God flowing down to us in this dry, barren land. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are continuing the message series called Suburban Myths. And in this series, we've been looking at key beliefs that we hold on to or assumptions that we have about life, which tend to kind of conclude or create a picture of how we think life works. And if you will, we are all creating a picture. Uh, we are putting a drawing together. We're coloring it in. And we're, we're, we have this, this is what it, life looks like. And we create this picture. And throughout history, all of us have our own blank canvas that we're trying to create something on. And we think this is what life's supposed to look like. And what you find in life is your picture is either right with reality or it's not. And your experiences and what you know to be true from what happens, you, you can kind of see, okay, my, my picture was a little off. It doesn't really match what's happened. But all of us have these kind of background pictures that we have. Uh, related to our future, related to our goals, related to success, related to what relationships should look like, related to what makes us happy, related to power. All these things we have in the backdrop of our life. And we don't talk about them a lot, but they really do steer us in a certain direction because we want the best picture and we want our idea of the picture to match what we experience. And so we've been talking about how it's really important to identify these pictures that we have. And oftentimes we've been calling these myths. But oftentimes we have these beliefs in the back of our head and we have these ideas that actually don't really add up and line up with reality. How God has designed the world to work. Here at Church in the Valley, when we talk about reality, we look at it really from the lens of how God has wired life to work and function. And so we've been looking at this series really in the search of, of one man, and his name was Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. And in this series, we've been talking about some questions that he has been raising in his life. Some kind of dire questions, some questions that kind of show the rawness of the human experience. And week one, we started talking about what's the point? It's a big question. What's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? And in his thoughts and in his feelings of what he thought life was, he, he came to this conclusion that really we're just here and then we're gone. Life is so short. And so because of the brevity of life and the fact that it seems like we chase after things that don't really add up in the end, why am I here? And he's asking that question. And he continues to ask that question as we've gone each week. Last week we talked about the myth of there's an answer to every problem and the idea that what about the problems that you can't answer. What about the things that you encounter in your life and you don't know why they've happened? And you don't know why they happened, when they happened. And you may go to different experts and the experts may not know those either. And what do you do when there's just these questions that remain unanswered? And Solomon had many of these questions as well. Today, we're going to be talking about a concept that I think all of us can relate to. And that's the myth and the assumption and the belief that doing what I want makes me happy. 
Now, everyone here would say, you know, that sounds right. Because if I don't do what I want and I do something I don't want, that's not going to make me happy, right? That's like the simplest message ever. Let's pray. We can go to lunch. We could go to brunch. We're out early. But that's true. We all think, yeah, well, if I get what I want and I do what I want, that's going to make me happy. But we're going to look at what if what we want and doing what we want and getting what we want, what if that is actually the thing that we shouldn't want in the first place? And what if, if we get what we actually want, we come up empty? What, what then? And Solomon is really on this search. And if you don't know much about Solomon, he was a man that was granted wisdom and complete understanding about how life worked. God granted him this. He asked for it. He said, God, I, I want to know wisdom so I may be the leader you want me to be to lead your people. And God gave him this wisdom, and he also gave him this unlimited resources, money, knowledge, power, all the things that we kind of resonate with, like, wow, this, that's really what I want, success, leadership. And what happened in Solomon's life, he began to go on this quest for really what life was all about. The problem is, he took a turn and he decided to try to figure out the meaning and the point and the purpose without really following after God anymore. And his experience is a lot like our experience. We're all on a quest and all of us have gone our own way to try to figure it out on our own. And we've rebelled against God because of sin all of us have sinned. And because of that, we're trying to kind of make sense out of everything we experience. We try to make sense out of everything that we're doing. And Solomon is in this writing in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. He's giving us this picture of what life looks like when you try to make sense out of it. Just using logic, just using reason, just using the assumptions you have. Really, what does life look like when God is not a factor? Now, in today's world, we can actually see that as well because people were all on the same quest. And many people are trying to figure out what life looks like without factoring God in at all. It's the battle that we all have and we all face. But as we read Solomon's experiences, we can gain so much understanding, even in the rawness of what he states. And so I just want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he's really talking about what happens... When you follow your blind desires down the road that they take you, what happens when you get exactly what you want? So let's read this together. Ecclesiastes 2. We're going to read about nine verses. This is Solomon speaking. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Okay, all of us want to wake up and tell that to ourselves. Enjoy yourself today. I will. That sounds like a great morning. We don't wake up and say, you know what? Don't have fun. Just go to work, go to the grind, come home and be unhappy. Right? None of us want that. But this idea, enjoy yourself. That's something I can get on board with. It says, but behold, this also was vanity. And we've talked about this word vanity. This idea of it's... It's like you, you try to get something in your hands that you can hold on to a substance and it's like the wind that you actually cannot grab. You can't get a hold of. You're chasing something that doesn't exist. But behold, this was also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. Like it's crazy stuff. Just when people laugh, why laugh? And of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. 
till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. He's saying, you know what? Let's just let go. Let's drink some wine. Let's have some fun. And let's see what happens. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So here's this idea. If he's not just about feeling good about himself, he wants to build things that he can be that he can feel good about. He's a master architect. He wanted to kind of build this, engineer something that he could see and experience and enjoy. Then he goes on. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So he's saying people have had stuff. People have bought things. People have felt good. But they don't have anything on me. If I laid a track right down on this, just like a nice beat, this would be like a contemporary song. Man, plant vineyards. You just... It's got power. You guys don't seem to feel it like I'm feeling it. The track must not be the same in our heads. But it's true. It's like this is a description of like this common, wow, that, that sounds amazing. He has anything he could ever want. So he had great possessions, flocks and herds, more than any that had ever been. I also gathered for, gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So he had the bling, right? He just, silver, gold. I had it. I wanted it. I had it. It says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. So what he's saying is, in the midst of this, in the midst of all this that I'm encountering, all this that I'm experiencing, and all this silver, gold, power, buildings, streams, forests, food, Women, in the midst of this, I'm trying to figure out, is this making me happy? Is this giving me what I want? And right there, that sums up the common experience we all have. In the midst of going after what we think will make us happy, there always comes that point in which we take a step back and say, this really doesn't feel good as much as I thought it would. We all have that experience. And this is a summary of what he tried to find satisfaction in. Wine. He was probably a foodie too. Anything he wanted, he could try. And go get somebody to bring it for him and cook it right before him. Building projects and achievements. Stuff that would take your breath away. He, he built it. Power, possessions, and treasure. Entertainment and sex and status. That's interesting in there. He says, and my wisdom remained in me. He's kind of like saying, hey guys... I know you think I'm just trying to do this to kind of experience all the pleasures of this world, but I'm taking notes. I'm still a student. I'm just learning this. I'm going to pass this on to you. What he's describing is is a buffet of life choices of all the pleasures that life has. I don't know when the last time you went to a buffet was, but I think like a buffet is one of the greatest descriptions of going after what you think will make you happy and in the end only having regret. 
I remember the greatest buffet I ever went to was at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Okay? And my wife and I, we, we wanted to go to the buffet and we picked a time where like, they were transitioning from breakfast to lunch. And I don't know if you've ever experienced the buffet in the transition time, but you can have a waffle and a lamb chop at the same time. It's like not only can you get the bacon, the pancakes, but it's like, oh, here is Cajun shrimp jambalaya. And all of a sudden, I just looked at this place and I was like, this is awesome. It's breakfast. It's lunch. It's all you can eat. Let's do this. And I did. And about 45 minutes in, it was fleeting. Literally. It was just fleeting away and eating inside me and... I had major regret. We all experience that. That's kind of what happens at buffets. But you don't go to buffets to eat conservatively. That doesn't make any sense. Because they say all you can eat, that's an invitation and a challenge. I will do that. I will literally eat all that I can. And you think that you're going to beat them, but every time they beat you, do. And that's the path of pleasure. With our eyes, we see things that we want and we think, that's exactly what I want. I want that status. That's exactly what I want. I want that car. That's exactly what I want. I want that relationship. That's exactly what I want. I want that success. I want that money. I want that security. I want that future. I want that family. With our eyes, we approach life like it's this buffet. And what you find in life is as you chase after these things and you let your desires drive you and determine the direction of your life, you actually come up empty. This sounds like a very common experience, what Solomon is describing. In fact, there was a song written way after Solomon, 49 years ago, which describes what he's experiencing. Let's listen to this together. For some of you, this is going to be going down memory lane. For others of you, you may have never heard this your whole life. So we're all going to learn something together. Let's play it. I I was almost going to say, you know, this song was written a few years ago. It was written in 1965. Dude, those guys are old. That hit me this morning. That's 49 years ago. And they're still pumping out songs just like this. 
But what's so fascinating about this song is it's very catchy, and you've probably sung it, and you've heard it in movies. But the whole premise is, I can't get, no, satisfaction. But he didn't just take a step back and say, so, I don't know what to do. What does he say? But I try, not just once. No, I try, and I try, and I try, and I still can't get no satisfaction. You put it like that, he's experiencing what Solomon described. This is a rock and roll band. They had all the resources at their disposal, just like Solomon, to figure out what life's all about, what's going to make them happy. And they arrived at the same place. It's fleeting. It's a vanity. It's like the wind that passes through my fingers. I try to grab it and it's not there. So what we're really talking about, this getting what I want, it's, it's really this idea of desire. And what Solomon is getting at is, is if you follow your desires without thinking and evaluating where they take you, you're going to be in trouble. And I want to briefly just walk through how desire works. It starts with desire, which leads to strategy. You then get what you want, and then that leads to satisfaction and enjoyment. That's how desires work. It starts with a desire, really, to be happy. We want to be happy. All of us do. We want to experience the joy that comes from living this life to its fullest. That resonates with all of us. But the quest that Solomon went on is realizing that your desires lead you to a strategy to get something that you think will lead you to the satisfaction and enjoyment that you want. But the key is, if you desire the wrong thing, even if your strategy is great and even if you get what you want, the satisfaction and enjoyment is not there. And this is played out in everyday life. If you have a desire for a brand new car and you think, you know, if I get this car, now the payments are a lot. I'm going to go into debt over it, but it looks really good and it's going to get me to where I want. And frankly, it goes fast. And so you become, you get a strategy. Well, to get the car, I have to go to the lot that the car exists. I have to try to broker a deal. And then hopefully I'll sign some papers, which will hand over a car to me with payments over the next five to seven years. And so I've gotten it. And as you're driving in your car, it gets scratched. It gets dinged up a little bit. It's not as clean. The new car smell goes away. And the satisfaction and enjoyment that you had is, is kind of disappeared. Do you still have to pay for the car? Yeah. Where's the car payment that just stops as soon as the car smell goes away? The new car smells, it fleets, your payment stopped. The newness is worn off. We understand, Mr. Barrett. The newness is worn off. You no longer have to pay for the car. That's not how life works. And these happen again and again. We have a desire and we have a strategy because ultimately we want what we want. And then we get it and then we get to the point where we realize wait a second, I'm empty, I'm unfulfilled. And even if you're fulfilled for a moment, it, it doesn't last. 
over the course of a lifetime. And so the key for us today is not just to know how desire works and where that leads us, but to know that God has designed life and reality to work in a certain way. And I talked at the beginning about the picture that we create. Our duty as people that have been created by God himself is to not just present our picture to God and say, here, God, file this away in your plan for my life. But instead, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your idea that you have about the life that I should live, the choices I should make, the priorities I should have? Because we all have good and bad desires. The key is what do we do when we have them? What Solomon is describing is you you have to have this figured out. Because if you follow them blindly, you're going to actually get to a place you do not want to be. His conclusion is satisfaction is found when we follow the right desires. And so if you want to know the right way to live your life and the right attitude to have and the right priorities, you actually have to read the scriptures. You do. You can't figure that out just by observation. Solomon proved that. You can't just figure that out by raising questions and trying to answer them. Solomon figured that out. To actually know what to do with desire and to know how to do a strategy and to actually find satisfaction and enjoyment, you actually have to live life the way God has designed it. We can't get around the reality of God. He's designed life to work in a certain way. There's the reaping, there's the sowing, sowing and the reaping. There's consequences, there's choices we make. And he's very gracious with us. And he's very patient with us. But ultimately, if we decide that we want to live life really on our own way, according to our own truth that we create, it's vanity. It's striving after the wind. So God invites us alongside him to learn from the scriptures, to learn as we pray and as we communicate with him how life really works. And Solomon kind of closes out his, his diatribe of all this pleasure hunt that he went on. He says this in verse 10, 11. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Remember the list of all he had done, all he had built? Saying it's a waste. It's a waste. So as we read his words, it's like he's calling out, don't waste your life chasing the things that you think will make you happy. Instead, find out the Lord's will for your life, what makes Him happy, and from that, you find satisfaction and enjoyment. Really, the key is, we have to actually say no to ourselves. I don't know about you, but that is actually very difficult. There are many things that I want, and I just kind of tell myself, okay, go, go get it. It's very hard to have self-discipline. 
I want to share just a, a research uh, project that was done in the 1960s. It's called the Marshmallow Test. You may have heard of it. But it was a social psychologist who came up with how do we kind of teach kids that saying no to your impulses in the moment will actually help you have a better life. And trying to teach, they were teaching like four-year-olds this. Trying to teach a four-year-old no is difficult. Let's face it, trying to teach us no is difficult. But when you're four, it's really difficult. Because you just want to follow your little heart and get what you want every day of your life. And in this test, they had a marshmallow. And here was the rules. You can either eat this one marshmallow now, or you can wait 15 minutes, and you get two. That would be really cool right now if people walked down the aisle and they handed you a marshmallow. Sorry, there are no marshmallows coming. But it's a test for all of us. What would we do? So I want you to, to watch this clip of these kids. Besides the principal, they're, they're actually stinking cute. What can a marshmallow tell you about your kids? You might be surprised. Psychologists at Stanford found that kids who could hold off eating one of these did, bitter, did better get, get, get hands on, did better at school and in life. So we set up our own marshmallow test to see what would happen and what parents could learn about teaching our children self-control. Okay. What is that? It's a marshmallow. But it's not just a marshmallow. Do you like marshmallows? Yeah. It's what's going to make the next 15 minutes feel like 15 hours for the kids at the Edina Family Center. You can either eat this marshmallow now. I need that marshmallow now. Well, just wait. let me tell you what the deal is. So you can either eat it now or wait until we come back and you'll get two. Um, I want two. Dr. David Walsh is a big fan of the original marshmallow test research. He wrote about it in his book, Know Why Kids of All Ages Need to Hear It and Ways Parents Can Say It. The genius of the experiment, however, was that they followed those children for 18 years. And Amelia, the ability to wait for the second marshmallow was an amazingly strong predictor of their success in school, their adjustment, their happiness, even their popularity. What does it mean when a child does eat the marshmallow? You know, we're not predicting that any of these kids are going to be either good at self-discipline or not. What we really want to do is help parents try to figure out how can we help our kids develop more self-discipline. Because we do know from a ton of research that that is a key success factor for kids, the ability to say no to themselves. What he just said actually had a lot of wisdom. He said the key to success is the ability for kids to say no to themselves. I don't know about you, but I would have said, I want two marshmallows right now. <laughs> Can I do that? And then maybe get four if I wait 15 minutes not to eat those two. Buffet. See? Common theme. But you see their faces, and it just summed up. It's kind of this like grief, like, the kid, I, I, yeah, I, I want it right now. But wait, wait, wait. Wait, you're going to still talk? Because I want to eat that right now. That's how, that's how we are. But I don't know if you heard, the original experiment followed the children for 18 years. Now, I have not looked at all the conclusions, looked at all the case studies. But what they showed was there was a significant 
difference for the, the children who actually, in the beginning, exhibited self-control. It actually helped them in the other arenas of their life. And I don't know if that, you know, it probably just didn't stem from that one choice they made not to eat the marshmallow. There's probably a lot of other factors. What he said is the finding and the experiences, and he's pulling all this thing, and he's saying kind of like what Solomon's saying. He said, if you just keep saying yes to everything that you want, it's not going to go well. And that's, that's fun for us to look at when you think about a marshmallow, but when you think about your own heart and the things that you really want, some things that you've said to people, some things that you haven't, you've just kept it to yourself, these are the things that if we don't actually factor in the Lord Jesus, they can actually derail our lives. They can. It's no joke. Our decisions and the desires and things that we really want can take us down a path that could harm us, could harm our families, could harm our future. So I want to wrap up with really three key things you can do to say yes to the right desires. And as I go through these, I want you to think, what is one of these that resonates with you? What, when you hear it and you think through it, what is it that you need to do in the things that you're kind of battling within yourself, the things that you really want, the things that you really hope to come true, the picture that you have, the, the sketch, and you really hope that everything kind of lines up. These desires that are kind of in your heart, grinding inside of you. Which of these kind of seems that God's saying, you know, you, you need to pay attention to this one. So the first one is walk daily with God and tap into His power. The only way to say no to the wrong desires is to actually have God himself help you. And he helps us through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to the things that don't please God. And in the middle of temptation, the promise of Jesus himself is that you will always be able to find a way out to not give in to your desires. There's always a way that you can say no. But it comes from walking with God and tapping into His power. I mentioned this, but this, this comes from actually spending time with God daily. Soaking up the Scriptures. Thinking through what that means for your life. What that means for your attitude. What that means for these desires that you have. It's allowing God to give input. And it's going to God with all these things that you're dealing with. You're inviting Him into your world and asking Him to lead you in it. At the core of everything that you say and everything that you do. That's how you walk with Him and tap into His power. Without His power, it's like an electric car. And these are becoming more and more popular. And they save you so much money over the course of the life of the car. They're easier to maintain. But you don't get very far on an electric car if you never plug it in. It may look really good. And yes, it will save you money. That's because you're never driving it. It's never taking you anywhere. That's how it is for us a lot of times. We want the help of God. We want the power of God. We want God to kind of meet us with what we're facing. But we're actually not tapping into His power. We're wanting Him to kind of come alongside us into what we're doing. Instead, this is an invitation to really find out what God wants to do. What are the things that He says, and how can I do them? That leads to the satisfaction and enjoyment 
God wants us to experience. So that may be one. The second is trace the root of the outcomes you experience. And there's some references to each of these. I'm not going to go over these, but you can look these up on your own time. But trace the root of the outcomes you experience. Is there pressure that you're facing right now? Just there's some things, there's frustration, there's pressure. It seems like things aren't going well. They're not going as you hoped. They're not going as you planned. There's just this pressure and this nagging sense inside of you. Some of the time that's from decisions that we've made. And we're reaping the consequences of them. And in the midst of that, it's easy to just say, I blew it. I screwed up. I've ruined my life. But it's in the midst of that, as we trace the root to the desires and to the things that we've just tried to do on our own without God, He is so gracious. And confess and admit that to Him, God, I blew it, and I've been really following my own desires to get what I want in this area, in a relationship, in a work, just in how you're trying to go about your job and accomplishing what you have on your plate. And invite Him in. God, I don't want to keep doing this myself. Will you, will you help me? But oftentimes, we only get to that point where we've actually traced the root. Because the fruit comes from the root. And oftentimes, the fruit that's bad, and it looks good, but when you bite into it, and it's just mushy and eroded, there's a reason the root is bad. And so you have to go back and evaluate, like Solomon, you have to evaluate your choices and your decisions. And the last thing, and this is something that's really helped me, is you're dealing with desires and the mixed bad, good and bad, and you make choices and you regret it, and you go down this path and you think, man, I really shouldn't have done that. I really shouldn't have said that. Oftentimes, it's when I'm down this path that I'm down because of decisions for my desires based on my strategy that brought me here. It's, this, it's those times when God brings about somebody who helps and gives me perspective. Sometimes it's in the question of, why did you do that? Or how come you're there? Or what's going on? How are you? It's in those conversations, in those questions, as I make it a priority to get around people, that I realize, man, I have just been off track. My desires have been leading me to a place I do not want to go. And oftentimes, friends, wise friends who walk with God, they're the ones that can help us Evaluate. Okay, back to the buffet. When you're in the buffet and you're in the midst of pounding your waffle and lamb chop, you don't know what's going on. You're in this food coma. What's happening to me? But if you have somebody that comes out from the buffet, they've been on this walk and they have energy, snap out of it! What are you doing? You've already eaten three days worth of food. You're really wise. But I have one more piece of bacon. Put it down. All right. It's comical, but that's how life is. You don't see things. You're blind to things. There's blind spots. And we need wise people that come alongside us and say, Hey, you're heading down a path based on the things that you really want. And I just want to just check in with you. Are you sure that's really what you want from your life? I care about you. I love you. Are you sure? And ultimately, everyone has to make their own decisions. But oftentimes, it's wise people in my own life that just love me to see the blind spot. 
Allow me to get out of the rut of just following after what I feel. And so I want you to just kind of think about those three. Just ask God to show you, is there one of those? Is it just, you've got to spend some time with Him. And maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. And you've been on this search for happiness. And you've been just trying to do it by yourself. Maybe today it's, you know what, I, I need to actually commit my life to following Him. I need to actually, for the first time, tap into His power. And if you've never done that, I encourage you, there's a place on your connection card on the right-hand side where you could say, send me info about following Christ. And, and we'd love to get you that. And so, as a matter of fact, why don't you pull out your connection cards? And today, we're doing something radical on next steps. Okay? It's just radical. Turn your card over. And what do you see? Nothing. It's vanity! No, in all seriousness, what's your next step? Every week we give some suggestions that we can encourage you to do, but what's your next step based on this idea of just desire and battling and trying to find out what makes you happy? What's your next step? If you have a sense God's trying to tell you something, just write that down. Just write that down. If you have any prayer requests, you can use those blank lines. You can write that down as well. So I encourage you. I'm going to pray. I encourage you to write a next step down. The band's going to sing, and then we're going to receive our offering, and you can drop in um, the connection card, the team up interest form. And we're, we're really glad you're here, and we believe that God has brought you here. And so we not only want to provide you opportunities to connect with us, but we actually want to know you. And so we hope that you'll stick around a little bit after service so we can meet you if you're new. And let's uh, pray to God and ask Him for strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reaching down, meeting us here on earth, and allowing us to see that just following our own path to pleasure really just comes up empty. And I know I need so many reminders of this on a weekly basis. And so God, I ask that you'll continue to remind us how the decisions that we make are so critical and that you want to help us to make the right decisions. So God, we need your power and we need your strength. We cannot figure this thing out on our own. And so whatever next step we have today, God, give us your power to take it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.